Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Quick review, we are in a series called The Third Person, the third person being the Holy Spirit of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We're focusing on this oft-overlooked, misunderstood, not really even known aspect of who God is and how he just manifests and expresses himself in our lives. And a quick review here, we're going to throw up our core value. Before we do, what is the core value we are talking about right now? Come on, you are now my favorite. Yes, awesome, awesome. Jeremy, give her a hug for me. That's awesome. Um, joyful expectation is our core value right now. We're gonna throw it on the screen because everybody else said it at the same time, right? I mean, we, all, we were all thinking it, if not. Would you say this paragraph with me out loud, what joyful expectation is? You are not an accident. Your life has purpose. And so we live in the power of grace and the guidance of God's spirit. And we do so with great expectation. We're leaning in on that guidance of the Holy Spirit, God's spirit. How does he work in our life? And so the last couple of weeks, we've been laying a foundation for who the Holy Spirit is. We've been laying a foundation to try to understand he's not an experience. He is a person. He is your friend. He is your helper, which in the Greek, what is the word for helper? Come on. You are now my favorite as well. It is awesome. It's happening, friends. I'm just enjoying so much learning some of this with you and together. But he is our paraclete, which means he's like a a person who comes alongside us. And sometimes he argues with me and tells me what I need to do different. Sometimes he argues on my behalf and tells me the enemy to get away. And he speaks truth into my life. It's true for you as well. And so we've been laying this foundation. And the last week we talked about the fact that we are always being discipled. We're always being formed and shaped. We can either be discipled. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to last week's message, please. You need to carve out about two and a half hours for that one. I'm kidding, but carve out a little time, get a cup of coffee and listen so you'll understand the framework for what we're talking about, that we have just kind of a a default discipleship. It happens to us every day that we allow voices to shape and frame us. We want to be intentional. But the most crucial things of our life, we want the Spirit. And I'm pointing this way because we had it on the screen behind me. But we want the Spirit to guide us to a Jesus-centered discipleship, to live intentionally in what God has for us. Remember what I said last week, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that in my life this week, for me, for you, for my family, for many. I hope you're praying that as well, God, that we would walk in the Spirit and we would live in the Spirit. Just keep that. Um, Next couple weeks, we're going to make a little bit of shift. We've got this foundation. We understand who he is. We understand where we walk in him. Now we're going to start looking at a couple things. How does he work in us? What does the scripture teach about how God manifests himself as the spirit of God, as the Holy Spirit? And then the other thing we're going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into some of the things that are most misunderstood or can create division in the church when we think about uh, what the spirit of God is. Probably the most, some controversial, difficult topics. And if you go to different expressions of the faith, you'll hear different answers. We want to lean as heavily as we can in the word of God, starting again today. I mean, we're just going to go through a lot of scripture and we're going to understand as much as we can about the spirit from the word of God. But these are challenging things. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about how he works in our life and where we see him manifested in the scripture, how some of that's changed. Next week, we're going to look at how the power of God is so present in our life and how we can really experience that in a full way. We'll touch on that this week. Next week, we're going to get into it more. The week after that, two weeks from today, we're going to talk about some of the things like the tongue, uh, spiritual gifts, the gifts of the spirit, tongues, healing, uh, prophecy, some things that you may be just curious about. I don't understand or I've heard different things from different belief systems that you've been a part of. We're going to dive neck deep into that and we're going to try to understand what the scripture teaches on that. And then we actually added a week to this series. It's just we just feel like there's so much we want to cover 
even as we're just scratching the surface, we're going to add that final week. It's the week before Easter. We're going to talk about church alive, how the spirit just activates and propels the church and what we're supposed to be for the world around us as we, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, live out what Jesus wants for us. So good weeks ahead. I hope you'll be a part of this. Today, in his last conversation, we've looked at this text before, but in his last conversation with his disciples, his closest friends, before he is going to be executed and pay the sin of the world, his last conversation with them, there's a couple verses where he talks specifically about the third person, the Holy Spirit. In, in John 14, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the Spirit of truth. Couple that with what he says in John 16. He says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage. Counterintuitive. This doesn't sound like good news on any level. But he says it is. It's to your advantage that I go away. He says this to his closest friends. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. And we're going to unpack some of that and more today. And there's two things I want you to take away. If you're a note taker, your, your pencil is going to be smoking a little bit today before it's over with. So I hope it's sharp and ready to go. If you're not a note taker, I hope you're a mental note taker. And you will lean in and maybe, maybe the Spirit of God, as I just prayed a few minutes ago, will illuminate and just light up your mind on a couple things that you can carry and live out this week. All right? A couple things from these verses that we learned. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. It's the Spirit of truth. And then he also says, it's to your advantage that I go away so that you will experience the helper. Uh, two things here. First of all, number one, he will give. The Father is the one who gives the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit isn't earned. It is received. He is received in your life. You can't earn it. You don't have to wait for it. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. Thank you, Jesus. We talked a little bit about that last week, that it's not based on me. It's based on his power. The Spirit isn't earned. He's received. Second thing we learned from what Jesus just said in this, the Spirit in us is even better, even greater than Jesus next to us. And then it's, it's powerful, it's amazing. And we want to talk about that this week and next week about how to experience that better. But the spirit in us is better than Jesus next to the, us. If somebody were to ask you, can you imagine what it would be like? We talk about this every once in a while. What would it be like to have one day on earth, go back in a time warp and be able to have one day with Jesus and walk side by side, grab lunch with him, go sit by the fire pit and talk about anything you want with him. That just seems like a dream, doesn't it? Jesus, which would be unbelievable. Jesus says, I'm giving you something better. It's to your advantage that I go away because the spirit in you is even greater than me next to you. Wow. Wow. So we want to talk about what that means. By the way, the spirit, when he's talking in there, uh, that the spirit of truth would come or this helper would come, that word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. Let me hear you say pneuma. I like these words, pneuma. We're going to throw it on the screen for you. And I'm changing it up a little bit. I know some of you have enjoyed as you're trying to write this down, uh, some of the original language. And this isn't just to be fun. It's like you really want to understand with me what it means. And there's such texture to these words and so much meaning. And so I'm going to start throwing, that's like in the Greek lettering, that's the English phonetic translation of it, if you will, and then um, with the P being silent, of course, and then spirit meaning breath and wind. Where else do we see this word, pneuma, translated in the New Testament scripture or in other writings that were being circulated during that time? And we see this word pneuma, which represents spirit here, also being translated as breath or wind. It's this refreshing presence or this powerful presence like a wind that comes into our lives. Life-giving breath in our lungs and the powerful presence, this wind, if you will, that, that moves and changes things. I was thinking about the movie Tommy Boy this week. Man, I date myself probably when I say that. Do you realize Tommy Boy is 25 years old? Is that bonkers? 
I mean, slow down clock. But 25 years ago, Tommy Boy, I would be embarrassed to tell you how many lines I could probably repeat from that movie. And you would be embarrassed to admit how many you probably could too because there's so many that made it into our society. But the end scene of the movie with Tommy Boy, Chris Farley, the end scene, he's back out on his little sailboat. And I got a picture of it here for you. And he's kind of like praying a little prayer to his dad. And he's like, well, I've been stuck out here for an hour with no wind again. And, and I was thinking about that. He's stuck out there. He's like, if he could send some wind, it'd be great. If not, that's okay. And all that kind of stuff. But he just, he has no ability to move on his own. And, and I thought about how that relates to our walk spiritually. How, how so many times I have felt like little Tommy boy, not little Tommy boy, like big Tommy boy, out on the little boat in the middle of the big lake with no wind. And, and you may feel that as well from a spiritual standpoint. This idea of uh, I just give me, give me this pneuma, this fresh move, fill the sails, give me life again, direct me, guide me, move me again, God. And we ache for that as followers of God. We ache for this life-giving pneuma, this life-giving presence that refreshes and guides our life. His powerful, powerful, but unseen, unmistakable presence that can move and guide us in whatever direction he believes we need to be. And so we're going to uh, start looking a little bit in the book of Acts today. We're going to get into Acts 1 and Acts 2 today because like no other experience or no other expression in the scripture before it or even after it, there is something so powerful that takes place in Acts 1 and 2 that we want to kind of get our hands, start getting our hands and our mind around a little bit today. So we're going to look at this incredible manifestation of where the Spirit of God uh, just falls like fire and falls like a mighty rushing wind on the people of God. So we'll look at that in a minute. But before we get there, I want to give you a little setup, a little context. And this is where you need to put your nerd hat on with me. You got to geek out on a little bit of Bible stuff with me because there's little connect the dots that help us understand better what happens in Acts 1 and 2, how it had been forecasted and prophesied for a while and what it means both for then and for today. So when we get in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, a lot of you know that the Bible is kind of like cut in half almost. There's two Testaments. Another word, and actually a better word for it, is really the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I don't know if you've heard that before, but you're basically saying the same thing. Covenant is an agreement between two parties. In this case, it's God and an agreement, if you will, with his creation, us, all of mankind. This is how I'm going to work. This is how you follow me, worship me, how you get to know me, all those kind of things. And there's a distinct difference. Theologians and Bible scholars way centuries and centuries ago started recognizing there's a, dis, a, a line of delineation between how, the, how everything worked in the realm of how God works in the Old Testament versus how we see in the New Testament. And we see ourselves as an extension, of course, of the New Testament now. The Old Testament was more about the law, if, you're, if you know much about the Old Testament studies and the book of the law, whereas the New Testament, the focus is more on grace that we find in Jesus. You can't earn. They weren't earning grace in the Old Testament, but the law was an evidence of following God, whereas the evidence that we really lean into is just living in the grace and following the ways and words of Jesus. The sacrifices, there's a sacrifice or a penance to pay, if you will, in the Old Testament for sin. And it was sacrificing animals, lambs, dove, different kind of animals, bulls, sacrifices, all that. You get to the New Testament, there's one sacrifice, one final sacrifice. And it talks about a lot in Hebrews, and we know it's Jesus. Jesus, the sacrificed lamb for us, the lamb of God. So there's a difference. There's other things like that. And as we look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament or the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, one of the things that's very different is how we experience God's presence. In the Old Testament, you had to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. Is God everywhere? Absolutely. That it's, it's a non-changing, unchangeable attribute of who God is. He is everywhere at the same time. You can't fully wrap your head around that. That's what makes him God. But I know that, I've experienced that, and if you are a praying person, you have as well, because as we pray right here, 
in hundreds of thousands, if not more, churches across the world right now, in all different languages, people are praying to that same God. They're teaching that same God. They're giving their life and following in step with that same God, and he's present in all of it. How does he do that? I have no idea. Isn't heaven going to be amazing when he starts to roll this out, how he's done what he's done? But he has expressed or you experience him differently today than what the Old Testament under the Old Covenant would have. They had to go to Jerusalem, make the sacrifices. They do this maybe once a year or twice a year if they have the resources to do it. Make the sacrifices. You ever heard of the Holy of Holies? That is where the presence of God would dwell. The Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, put that aside. Good movie, cool actors. But the Ark of the Covenant biblically sat in the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. I mean, this was... All day long, it was making that music coming from there. I swear, I promise, it's not in there. But all day long, if you were out in the courtyards, ah, it was happening. And if you came into the contact of the presence of God, you would be killed. You would die. There's a couple crazy stories like that in the Old Testament. His holiness, his power, it's unbelievable. That's where God's presence was. Okay, kids, pack up the uh, minivan. We're heading back to Galilee or we're heading back up to Nazareth. We'll go see the presence of God or experience the presence of God maybe next year. It changes when you get to the New Testament presence of God is going to be experienced in a new way. Something is very different. And it's the same thing that's promised to us today. So skip into Luke chapter three. We're going to talk a little bit about baptism and we're going to talk about fire just for a second and hang on, hang on, just lean in again. This is going to make sense. Presence of God looks different. How does it look in the new Testament? We'll talk about it in a second. Connect that to Luke chapter three. This is John talking, John the baptizer or John the Baptist. If you've heard him like that, he says this, I baptize you with water but he who is mightier than I is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this is another one of those old covenant, new covenant kind of things. The meaning or the expression of what baptism really means changes. Paul, I'm sorry, uh, John is talking here, baptizing with water. The Greek word is the word baptizo, or it means to immerse. You can even think like a vessel. It was used this way, like a, a boat, a ship that had been hit on the side and it sinks. It would baptizo into the water or dishes that you wash and you plunge into the water in the sink to help them come clean. A ship that dies into the water, dishes that go into the water to come clean, the, sym uh, the, the symmetry and the, Im the imagery, the symbolism of um, uh, what happens when our life, when we give our life to Jesus. But baptizo in the Old Testament had even more meaning to that. You didn't have to be a follower of God to use that word for that reason. Baptizo was used, or a baptism, let me show you a picture. In fact, if you go through Israel today, there's a, they're called mikvahs. It's a mikvah, if we can bring that up on the big screen here. You see down, kind of that looks like a little pit, the little hole in the ground. I'm trying to point in the right direction. It's kind of like a weatherman trying to figure out where to point. Um, but you see the, uh, the mikvah there. I mean, seriously, you can go today. These thousands of years old, it's amazing. By the way, we were supposed to take a trip to Israel a year, or last month. COVID. So not nice. So cool. We've rescheduled that. If you're interested in being a part of that a uh, year from this month, we're going to talk about it in the next few weeks. I'm so excited. If you can plan for that and be a part of that, we want to take a crew. We had like 40 something signed up, a whole crew to go and just experience some of this firsthand. It's so powerful. But you'll see these mikvahs like everywhere over there. And there was ceremonial bathtub kind of a thing or a ceremonial bath. You would go into the mikvah for a baptism or a baptizo when a woman was getting married, for example, a big transformation's taking in her life. She's becoming one with another person, with a man. And so she is going into the baptizo, or sorry, the mikvah to be baptized. Uh, another thing was like, if you were being baptized into Judaism, you're joining a religion, you would, be, you would go into ceremonial baptism. So John says, I do this. I baptize with water. You can do that in the lake, you can do that, but you find these mikvahs everywhere as well. I baptize with water. Something's about to change. Old covenant, new covenant. Something different is about to happen. There is somebody greater than me that's on his way. That would be 
Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And he isn't going to just baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? It sounds exciting, sounds terrifying. What does that mean in our life? Something's about to change. Think about that with fire. So we know what baptism, I just talked a little bit about the physical immersion in water and what does the spirit being baptized and baptism of the spirit mean? But he will come and baptize you with fire. What does that mean? Well, when you think about in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the way God would manifest himself, remember I said you had to go experience him in Jerusalem. The other way that you would see God over and over in the Old Testament is in the form of fire. Think about when uh, Moses went to the burning bush and he sees that the bush isn't being consumed by the fire. He's this holy ground, man, shoes off. I'm in the presence of God. Think about the people of Israel under Moses' leadership being led through the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. It's the presence of God guiding and leading them where they should go. Uh, over and over, you see different things like this. Elijah, it's in uh, 1 Kings, I think it's like 19, if I remember right, where Elijah is battling with the prophets of Baal, false gods, and Elijah, and just making sacrifices up on the mountain. It's been a drought for years, and man, maybe your God would bring rain. Well, their God doesn't bring rain, so, God, uh, so Elijah prays to the one true God, Yahweh God, and he brings, it says, the fire of God, the fire of Yahweh comes from heaven, consumes up all the sacrifice, licks it all up, and then the heavens just pour with rain. But God reveals himself over and over in the form of fire. That's how he manifests himself. Okay. So park right there. Got everything? Woo! It'll all make sense in just a second. Okay. Old covenant, new covenant. What baptism looked like in there. There's this new thing. I baptized with water. Something new is coming. Fire. God presents himself. Something new is coming. He's going to baptize you with fire. How did God experience the presence of God in the Old Testament? How to go to Jerusalem? Or maybe you were in that crowd that would see the fire and know that's the presence of God. Something new is happening. Let's get to the something new in Acts chapter 1. That's all the backstory that kind of sets us up for Acts chapter 1. It says in verse 4 and 5, On one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for, wait for it, the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. What gift is he talking about? We just read it. Remember his last talk before he's executed? John chapter 14, John 15. I will ask and my father will send you something new. And it is for your advantage that he sends this helper. It's for your advantage that I go away. He's about to send. Here it comes. Stay here. The gift my father has promised, which you have heard of me speak about, it's coming. Because John, here it is again. John baptized with water. But in a few days, old covenant, in a few days, here it comes. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be completely immersed with the Holy Spirit taking over your life. Wow. Go to chapter two. Here it comes. It's the game and changing moment. This is when a lot of theologians kind of debate on exactly when the church is formed. There's some words that Jesus says to Peter uh, in the gospels. And then there's also this, what we can't even, and, and what it meant. There's so much. If you're a student of scripture, you're familiar with Acts 1, Acts 2. There's so much that happens as the gospel just explodes in a new way to all kinds of new nations in a way that nobody in history had ever experienced before or since. This is just a powerful manifestation of God, and we call it Pentecost. We call it Pentecost. It's right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, the believers, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Remember the word pneuma? Wind, that fresh guiding wind. Tommy boy, I need some wind in my life. I need that refreshing life-giving spirit. A mighty rushing wind. By the way, it's stronger than that here. If you look in the original language, this is like a tornado. 
This is like, oh my gosh. I've not been around a tornado, but when I lived in Orlando, uh, we, before we moved here, we uh, had a hurricane go through. I remember being outside. I literally, when people talk about a freight train, freaked me out, man. I was standing outside stupid, and I was just walking up the driveway, just kind of just, and all of a sudden I hear this. I can't get low enough, but it was like, Oh man, back into the house I went, man. Honey, let's go downstairs. I mean, but I'm just, that is a mighty rushing wind. If you've ever heard something like that. And what they experienced was this sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The second thing, a divided and divided tongues as fire. He will baptize with the spirit and fire. Dividing tongues as a fire appeared to them. That word divided really could be just separated. Like a, like a, a tongue of fire is about the best we can probably describe it. Comes out of heaven and just separates itself and every single person in the room that is meeting together to pray and worship and do what Jesus is to. They're waiting. He said, wait, and, wait for it. And, and this is what happens. He appeared and rested on each one of them. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, two weeks from now, we're gonna start talking about what does that mean? What, what's happening? We're gonna talk about tongues and some of the spiritual gifts in a few weeks. What I wanna talk about right now though is this Pentecost. What happens in this moment? The word Pentecost in the Greek is Pentecoste, Pentecoste. And it really means, you might be like, what does that mean? Holy Spirit, does that mean? It means 50th. Okay, so we're putting our geek hat again. Why in the world does it mean 50th? And why is it this rich Pentecost day? And, and, and uh, people in Israel, good practicing Jews today still practice this. I think it's May 23rd, if I remember right, it'll come up um, at this year. Annually, it's about that time in the year. What is it? What does it mean? Why do we refer to it? What is God doing in this moment? Well, Pentecost means 50th. Man, back up if you can lean in with me. I've just been praying that God would just help you see the beauty of the, the imagery and the symbolism of all this. It means 50th because it's 50 days since Jesus has risen from the dead. But it's not just that. As if that wasn't enough. It's amazing. It's also the day of the beginning of what's called the Feast of Weeks in Jerusalem. The Hebrew word for it is Shavuot. They call it the Shavuot. You won't see that word appear in the scripture, but good practicing Jews, even to this day, the Feast of Weeks begins on the same day that we now commemorate as Pentecost, the 50th day from when Jesus was risen from the dead and poof, this thing explodes and all that we're reading in Acts 1 and 2 happens. Well, what's the Feast of Weeks? Because this is so important. It's a little sidebar. Again, it's not in the scripture, but oh, it just helps you know what God was doing, what Jesus was mustering up, what the Spirit was doing, and what any first century Jew would have understood was happening. This Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, it was established in the law way back in Leviticus. Archaic kind of laws to us now. But there was all these different feasts that would celebrate and remember God's deliverance or God's provision. And it's like, we are going to take a feast and worship you. That's my kind of feast. Man, anytime you put a bunch of food, I'll celebrate whatever you want. Let's put some food in and celebrate. That's what the people of Israel do. And God told them, I want you to have this feast. Remember what I've done for you, how I delivered you from slavery, how I provide for you on and on. This feast of weeks is an agricultural feast. Hang with me. This Feast of Weeks is an agricultural week, and it marks the beginning, get this, of the wheat harvest. Okay? I'm seeing a few nods because some of you understand some things that Jesus has said and the connection here. The wheat harvest, every year where they celebrate all this wheat, all the dropping of the kernel of grain in the soil, and all the amazing harvests that would replenish their needs and their food supplies. And so the celebration is at the beginning of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the wheat harvest. It's the, by the way, the number of perfection in the Bible. It's the seven, it's after, after, um, oh shoot, Passover. After Passover, which is where Jesus died, seven weeks later, 
Seven weeks have seven days. Shavuot starts. This is where the Holy Spirit comes, and we, we today refer to it as Pentecost. I'm hoping you're tracking with all that, because here's the thing. It's the, it's the, it's the celebration of the wheat harvest. Let me go to back to a couple of things that Jesus said. And if any good early century practicing Jew was paying attention, they knew exactly what this all meant. Go back to John chapter 20. Jesus says this, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Unless a kernel of wheat, Jesus says, myself dies and goes under the ground and is buried, it remains just a single, it's just a life. But because he died and resurrected, holy cow, here we go. But if it dies, it produces many seed. Does that sound a little bit like the wheat harvest? Sound a little bit like Shavuot? Does it sound like there's a little strategery in the heart? Good Bushism, George Bush, strategery. Some good strategic planning in the heartbeat of God on this is the day when the spirit's gonna fall. Seven weeks, seven days, number of perfection. The wheat harvest is about to happen at this moment of Shavuot. 50 days in, and I'm going to bring a harvest. Why? Because, go back to Jesus' words, it is to your advantage that I go away because you're about to experience something else that's never been seen or experienced before. Man, there's so much, uh, so much imagery and symbolism in all that. Um, let's continue in Acts chapter 2. I like it. I hope you enjoy some of that too. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Continue. Now, their words. So, Tongues of fire, man, coming down. The, the mighty rushing wind. Wow, the presence of God in a whole new way. Verse five, now they were staying in Jerusalem and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Notice these were God-fearing Jews, but they were not Jesus-following Jews. And you're gonna see that in this passage, they're lacking. It's, we live in a society, we may be even in this room, maybe even watching from wherever you're at, there's a lot of great God-fearing people and my heart aches because they don't know what it means to have a Jesus-centered faith yet. That may be your story today. Listen along and maybe we can answer that for you today. Verse six, when they heard this sound, that mighty rushing wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who speak Galileans? In other words, they got their own language but they're talking all kinds of different languages. Nations from all over the world, it said, were gathering, or a known world at the time. What is going on? Look at verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this even mean? Some of them started mocking them, making fun of them. They said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addresses the crowd. Hang on, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning for crying out loud. I mean, I just love the Bible. By the way, some theologians kind of debate back and forth. It's certain texts you find that somewhere from the back of the room, Jimmy Buffett started to sing and play. If that's too far, I'm sorry. It just felt right. I'm sorry. Continuing on. It's only nine in the morning. Nobody's drunk. Even if it's five o'clock somewhere, nobody's drunk. Let me tell you what's really going on, says Peter. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You guys who are God-fearing, you know the prophecy. So let me tell you what the Old Testament in the Old Covenant told you what was gonna happen. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will, by the way, stop. As we read this, you and I live in these last days. So did they, because a day is a thousand years to God and a thousand years is a day and all that and on and on. But we are part of the same period. What they are being told right now, we can experience today. So just, just listen to this. You are, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men uh, will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
even on my servants, both men and women. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And what will they do? They will prophesy. Who is God's spirit poured out on and who will prophesy? What does it just say? Who is it? Men and women. It's not just men. Whew, we're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit because we have to wrestle with what the scripture teaches us. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a couple weeks here. But there's a clear something's different happening here. And it's not gender-based. It's not age-based. It's not nationality-based because he's telling this to everybody here. It's not your story or your pocketbook or your checking account. None of that matters. This is available to any and all. He'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 21, because everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. This is available to all. Something happens that's so different. And there's a different manifestation. What you're seeing, it ain't alcohol. We're not drunk. We're not smashed face right now. We're not inebriated. We are filled, baptized with the spirit of God on us. Remember the old baptizo thing, dunk in the water? Some difference happened here. He's come and he's baptized us with the spirit and with fire. And oh, by the way, you can experience it as well. If you will just trust, you'll taste it. If you'll just trust what God's doing here, you'll have an opportunity. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, the Lord, can be saved. He goes on and says, verse 38 of chapter 2, so repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Oh, I'm sorry, you came from the wrong family. Never mind. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know what your rap sheet was. That's not for you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know what somebody... Every one of you, call on the name of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you can receive this gift of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's available to all. This is available to all. Peter preaches this powerful message. If you've never stumbled on Acts chapter two in the scripture, read that this week, because we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in the next few weeks. But the spirit does an incredible, powerful thing as Peter continues to preach. He preaches this bold, bold message about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He points the finger at the crowd, says, by the way, you're the ones who killed him. And he still will turn around, and if you'll repent, he'll give you this gift. He'll give you eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. If Peter was standing on the stage today, he would point his finger at me. He would point his finger at each of us. We're the ones that put him on the cross, and yet the good news of the gospel is this presence and power of the Holy Spirit can come into our life because of forgiveness. Repent and turn to him, forgiveness of sins, and let the Spirit of God come into you. And this isn't something that was promised in the old covenant. Got to go to Jerusalem. Come on, kids, load up the minivan. We got to go to Jerusalem to experience God, make a sacrifice and all. No, 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 something's changed. Something's different. This new covenant by one sacrificed lamb, not a bunch of sacrifices year after year, by one sacrifice named Jesus who dies for each person who will ever put their faith in him. The Holy Spirit, the spirit, the presence and the power of God is now available to you. Peter just said it. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of the pneuma, the spirit who will live inside of you. The results of what happened in Acts chapter two, if you don't know the story, my gosh, revival breaks out. In verse 41, it records that over 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. May have been many more, but at least 3,000 gave their life to Jesus. Wow, wow. And we may argue and debate and discuss and try to figure and understand from different sects of belief systems and different religious groups that you hear from. What exactly happened in Acts chapter two? What we cannot argue over though is this, when the presence and power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, when they all come together, when the power of God is in the room, something changes. When the power of God is present in your life, something changes. Something's different and it's, it's big. 
Lives were changed, lives were turned upside down. Stories went back to nations that had never heard this news and the good news of Jesus spreads. Bring it to us. Okay, bring it to us. Old Testament stuff, trying to figure this all out. Connecting baptizo, what? Pneumo, what? All this kind of stuff. Pentecost is 50, I didn't know that. Put it all together, what is happening here? Jeff, what does it mean to us? Every true believer who's listening online, worshiping with us online, who's in here, aches. I mean, a true believer who follows Jesus, who wants the presence of God, every true believer aches for this. What we see happening in Acts, this manifestation of God, we want that in our own lives. We want that in our homes. We want this in this church. We want this in our community, in our world. We want him to transform in his presence to come in and be so different. Change us, illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, flip us upside down in the best way. And I'm telling you, Keep leaning in over the next few weeks. Followers of Jesus, that's the Spirit's power and presence that is promised in your life right now as well. It's not just one powerful moment that takes place in Acts chapter 2. It's a powerful moment and a presence. It is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away because there is a paraclete. There is an advocate, a friend that will be present with you. Jesus next to you is inferior to the Spirit in you. The spirit in you is powerful. And this is a, an incredible spirit. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 11. This, he's like, well, okay, is this like Casper the friendly ghost moving in and being my buddy? Nope. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is who lives inside of you. That is what is promised to the followers of God. Uh, golf clap. Isn't that exciting? That is sweet. Nice putt. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, would you wrap your heart and mind around what is promised to the followers of Jesus? It's amazing, isn't it? And it comes at that moment of salvation. Now, it's important to notice, by the way, what happened in Acts chapter 2, I believe, is very unique. There are things that are unique in the scripture. The Virgin Mary, you're going to have a child even though you never had sex. That doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. Daniel in the lion's den. Please don't go to the zoo and throw your kids over the wall at the lion and just see how that goes. That doesn't happen very often. On and on, right? Moses, you know, I mean, all the stories. There are unique things, so don't lose sight of that. The occurrence is unique, but the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is not. That power that is promised to you is not. In fact, I would put this way. While we aren't promised the same occurrence we are promised the same power and the same spirit of God. We just read that in Romans chapter 8. We aren't promised the same mighty rushing wind kind of a thing. That's something that's descriptive what happened. It had been prophesied by Joel, as Peter said. Jesus talked about it. John talked about it. This moment's coming. It's wait in Jerusalem. It's about to happen. It's different. The occurrence may be different, but the power and the presence is just the same. That's what's promised in your life. The power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. It's the same power that lived in Peter, that lived in Andrew, James, John, all these disciples, Timothy, Tabitha, uh, um, trying to think of some of the other words, Phoebe, some of the other New Testament, all these people, writers, the Apostle Paul, on and on. That same power lives in us as well. So, a couple things and then we'll end. Why doesn't it feel that way? If that's true, Awesome, promises, cannot believe. Wow, the spirit in me is so much more powerful than Jesus next to me. Why doesn't it feel that way in our life sometimes? If you got nothing else this morning, and I hope you got a lot. I hope you're kind of putting all the dots together. I hope you'll just be like turning pages and getting paper cuts on your copy of the Bible, just trying to understand more and more of this as this goes, because I have been. I love understanding this more. But if you get nothing else, this next phrase. Why can't it be that I have been baptized? I received that 
immersion into the identity with the Spirit of God at salvation. But I don't feel that way most days. Because you're going to walk out of here. You're going to go get lunch somewhere at home. You might do some outdoor chores or something. Even It's a gorgeous day here. You're going to get kids up in the morning. It's going to be hard getting them to school if you have kids. And you're going to go into this normal routine. And it does not feel like the power within me is greater than everything around me, right? So why is that? If you don't get anything else, write this down or just think about this. You get the Holy Spirit when you say yes to Jesus. Look at the rest of that statement. But the truth is, you can ignore him for the rest of your life. You can ignore him. In fact, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19, don't quench the spirit. Don't put out the fire. And we've had the imagery of fire, right? Don't quench the spirit in your life. You receive this incredible, unbelievable, permanent person, help, friend, paraclete, advocate in your life, and you can ignore that person for the rest of your life. Now, that doesn't mean when you're mowing the grass or you're getting the kids' lunches ready for school or something like that, that you're doing something evil in that. But what we know is that there's just rhythms and environments and things in our life that cause us to completely lose sight of, completely miss what it means to have the Spirit filling us. This is the difference, by the way, between being baptized with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Baptized with the Spirit, you receive that when you give your life to Jesus. You read these verses in here. Peter says, repent. And turn to Jesus, ask for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit in you. You are now immersed, that baptizo, not immersed into water. You're immersed into his identity. I'm not just identifying with getting married like a bride or identifying with a religion. That's not my, my identity is not in a religion. It's in a relationship now. It's in a person. It's in this powerful one. So everything's changed. You've got everything you need right there. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, that's very different. Did you receive the baptism at salvation? Absolutely, 100%. Are you filled with the Spirit all the time? There's not a person in here, not a person listening that can say yes. That's why we pray for it, we ask for it, we surrender over and over. Please, fill me again, Spirit of God. That's why when Romans 12 flips around, I beseech you, I beg you, Paul says, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lay yourself before him. This is what worship is. And let your mind, we talked about this yesterday, last week, remember? Be transformed and be um, anachinosis, uh, be renewed. Let your mind be renewed. How? By the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, just every day, please change me. Walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, because that's different between being baptized in the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit every day. So let me do two things, and I'm going to close. Um, one, I'm going to give you an illustration that I think will help bring this home for you. Then two, I want to give you just a couple prayers that I think will help you invite and practice the presence of the Spirit in your life. Okay, first one, an illustration of this. What's the difference between baptism in the Spirit, receiving that, I'm fully immersed in my identity in Him, versus being filled with the Spirit? This building that we're in, those online, many of you have been here before as well, or you know where we're talking about here in Littleton. And in this building, four and a half years ago or so when it was built, one of the initial schematics and blueprints, once the foundation's done, framing goes in and all that kind of stuff, there's schematics for power, for electricity to run through this building. There's conduit all through these walls everywhere. I think it was Tuesday this week, if I remember right. I went through, and I literally, I just went through every room in the building. Went through, every, and, and, and outside every office door in the building. And I think there's like 63, 64 rooms, designated spaces in this building. And I went through and was just praying and kind of adding it up, thinking about it's one building, but a big space with a lot of rooms. 
And I was thinking about the fact that throughout this whole building, I was here for a little while before anybody got here on a Tuesday morning. And all the lights were off. I was thinking about the fact that this building has massive power, that if I could peel back that wall right there and pull out that conduit and stick my hand on there, woo, I'd wake up, wouldn't I? Holy cow, there's some power going through this building. But nowhere in the building was it being experienced because the lights weren't on anywhere. There, there was power available beyond what we even need in this building, but until somebody starts hitting the light switch, until somebody starts plugging into those outlets on the walls and starts accessing and using that power, they don't experience it, right? It's the difference between baptism. The power is all in you. You have all of that. What, power to lift cars? No, power to say no to sin. Power to say yes to the ways of Jesus. Powers to say, yes, I will lean on you even though you're invisible, I can't see you. You're undeniable, your power will guide me. The power to yield and surrender and walk in the ways of Jesus and flip lives around you upside down. That kind of power. The power to forgive when it's hard. The power to say no to temptation. We talked about it last week. Don't be discipled on this side. Live in the power of the discipleship of a Jesus-centered life. Let the Spirit of God do it. That all in you. It's the power to be free of sin. The power to be free of hate, of anger. The power to be free of all this. That power is in you. Why doesn't it feel like it? Because you just haven't turned the lights on. You've got 60 different rooms in your life. And maybe some rooms, like a Sunday morning room between whatever time and whatever time, we turn the light on. But what about the Saturday night room? What about the Tuesday afternoon room? What about the difficult conversation room? Or the scrolling late at night online room? What about the I'm binge watching whatever that's just discipling and filling my life with garbage room? You haven't turned the light switch yet. You haven't plugged into the power. It's all in you. You've been baptized in this incredible power that raised Jesus from the dead even. It's in you. You just haven't turned the light switches on yet. And so every day, you need to go back through the rooms of your heart. Every day, you need to go through the rooms of your life and you need to flip the light switches on. Let the Spirit of God be present. Let the Spirit of God illuminate in your life in a new way. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Have we arrived? None of us. None of us have arrived. That's why every day, like I said last week, breathing in air, let me live in the Spirit. Let me walk in the Spirit. In this conversation, this moment, this difficulty, this temptation, this betrayal, this disappointment, whatever it is, this pride moment, whatever it is, let me walk in the Spirit. Let me live in the Spirit. And experience all the power that raised Jesus from the dead, all the power that manifested himself in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. Let me experience that because here's the thing. You don't have to get in your minivan or on an airplane and go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God anymore. Woo! He's in your life right now. You don't have to do that anymore. The Old Testament heroes that we love, man, they just probably just drooling when they know this. You every day, everywhere can experience the presence and power of God in your life. You don't have to do that anymore. It's in you. Something changed. And now when you give your life to Jesus, you can experience that. So let me give you this. Just real quick, three prayers, and then the team's gonna come up. Three little prayers that can help you just usher and welcome, to slow down and welcome the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. Because you're, you're invited to live in it and ask for it. So how do we pray for that? Three of them. And I'm just going to, I just feel, I just want to get on my knees for this right now because these prayers have been important to me this week and I want them to be real for you as well. And so they're going to be on the screen behind. You can write them down. I think they'll be available. You'll see them online. The first one is this, Holy Spirit, you are here and I'm listening. You are here and I'm listening. I'm not God, you are. 
And I've allowed a zillion voices into my life this week. Not now. Not anymore. You are here and I'm listening. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer in your life. Pray that prayer for your kids, your neighbors, others. Pray for you. Holy Spirit, you're here, I'm here, and I'm listening. I acknowledge and I want your voice to guide me. Second prayer, Holy Spirit, I surrender everything to you. This is a prayer you can pray. One at a time, all together, whatever you want. Holy Spirit, I surrender everything to you. Set me free. We've used the verse many times already in these last few weeks where the Spirit of the Lord is there is what? Freedom. Did you forget? I, I didn't hear anybody. The Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Yeah, if you don't know that, get to know that. Get to live that and pray that. Spirit, please, I surrender everything to you. Set me free. Set me free of my pride. Set me free of my doubts. Set me free of my lust. Set me free of my alcoholism. Set me free of my time waste. Set me free of my anger and my hate and my bitterness and whatever it is. Set me free. I lay it before you. The third thing, Holy Spirit, this is what we're talking about. Fill me. I've been baptized. I'm part of your tribe. I'm part of your family. But would you fill me? Let that spirit, let me turn light switches on. Would you fill me with your power and your presence? Turn all the light switches on. Plug everything in my heart into the outlets and the power that's running through me and let me feel your power and presence, Holy Spirit. These three prayers, I hope you'll write them down. If you don't, good news. On the way out for those in the room, we've got a little card we'll give you that's got those three on. And I hope you'll take that and stick it. Bookmark on your dash, on the mirror, in your locker, whatever you got. Just put it somewhere. Take two or three of them if you need. Some of you may need half a dozen of them. You're like, I need this reminder everywhere in my life. Holy Spirit, you're here and I'm listening. Holy Spirit, I surrender everything. Set me free. Holy Spirit, I want to know your power and your presence. Turn the light switches on in my life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Well, Spirit of God, that is our prayer right now. Let this not be a, an informational, educational exercise. Cool to learn some nuances of Greek words and all that and connect some dots. But that doesn't mean a hill of beans compared to the things that many of us in this room and many of us online right now are facing. It doesn't mean anything if we don't go around our rooms of our hearts and our lives and start flipping some light switches. So help us, God, to do that. We pray this now, right now, even this moment. Would your spirit be present? Would your spirit be listening and leading? Would your spirit be speaking? Would your spirit be guiding? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.